Welcome to the Wicked Aloha podcast. My name is Will Rich. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Patrick Brummel. And today we are talking with Jen Fratsky from Honolulu, Hawaii. Jen is an ultra marathon paddler who has competed in the Yukon River Quest, the MR340, the California River Quest, Sea Paddle NYC, and paddled with one of the best women's six-man outrigger teams in the world. She also has her own podcast called 90% Mental. And lastly, but certainly not least, she is a badass super mom. Today, we got to talk to her about training and competing in ultra long distance races, the mental side of paddling, some stories about hallucinations. We talked a little bit about nutrition, a bit about life. We tried to touch on everything else in between. So please enjoy as we try to figure out how and why people keep paddling these really, really long races. Jen, welcome to Thank the Wicked you. Aloha podcast. This has been uh, a couple months in the making, or maybe even longer, because we've been talking about it for a while. Um, but just a quick introduction of yourself. Uh, you are an ultra marathon paddler. You used to paddle stand-up paddle boards, and now you're racing canoes. Um, at After stand-up paddle boarding, you transitioned to paddling outrigger for the Outrigger Canoe Club, the women's team, one of the top women's teams in the world. Um, you also paddled for the U.S. Dragon Boat Team on multiple occasions, I think. Uh, yeah. you, then you started paddling ultra marathons, doing the California River Quest, the uh, MR340, the Yukon River Quest, and right now you are preparing for the 2021 Yukon 1000 as this year's was canceled. You were supposed to be there now, weren't you? Were you supposed yeah. to be in oh Yukon God. right now? Flight. Actually, I got a notification that my flight left Portland. Um, it was canceled, but I was supposed to leave yesterday. So, yeah, I'm supposed to be in Whitehorse right now. <laughs> wow. Awesome. What day, what day was it supposed to start? Uh, I believe the 19th. So I was going to go up a week early and just kind of uh, yeah. chill. Yeah. Well, then it's pretty apropos that we are talking right now. Yeah. Uh, There's a, a, a really awesome fentanyl scene up there. You'd be like, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's, that's, uh, it, it, it was some good, scary entertainment for the first few days leading up to the race. Made yeah. you really want to leave Whitehorse and get on the river. Honestly, but, I think the worst is Dawson City. It's even scarier. Uh, we never got a chance to stop. Uh, oh, that's right, because you guys didn't do the Yukon River Quest. You did the... We went on for the big one. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so... Let's talk a little bit about that that paddling journey from going from stand up to paddling ultra marathon canoe races. Um, I guess your your stand up, you were doing shorter races. I think you've done the the sea paddle uh, mm -hmm. in New York City on more than one occasion, I think. And yeah, I think I did that three times and that's no no easy race um so just just talk about uh let's just start there and uh you can probably expand on your background a little bit better than i i said it so uh, yeah i mean you you pretty much hit the nail on the head um but it's it's kind of funny because i know you guys did a um you did a podcast with chris bag so 
funny story going back, you know, the whole reason I even got into that Sea Paddle NYC was because of Chris. He invited me to come out there and, you know, I didn't know him very well. Of course, my dad was like, what? Who's this guy inviting you out to the East Paddle <laughs> race? I think he actually emailed him and was like, give me your credentials, <laughs> background check, like all this stuff. But no, so I ended up going out there and, um, I had not really even ever been on a stand-up. I mean, I kind of like dinked around Hawaii a little bit, but I basically did that race. I think it's 20, 28 miles, something around there. Uh, it was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. Um, it, of course, Sea Paddle NYC benefits autism, so it was for a good cause. Um, I know Chris donated a lot of money or, you know, pledged a lot of money into that um, event, so... Um, it was for a good cause and it ended up just starting my addiction of kind of like, I mean, I guess looking back at that's long distance, right? I mean, it was, it was brutal. I think I paddled half of it on my knees, to be honest with you. That's for 26 good. miles. That's a pretty good jump in. Yeah. And there's like a gnarly headwind and it's just a mind F <laughs> basically. Cause you just keep seeing bridges and, more bridges and you're like, am I done yet? Okay. It's that bridge up there. And then you get to it and you're like, Oh my God. And it's the one up there. So, um, it was definitely really challenging. Um, like I said, I did go back to do it a couple more times. Um, and then logistically it just got too expensive, uh, for me to continue doing it. But, but yeah, I kind of started there and then, um, started my journey of stand up. I, uh, early on started writing for a company, um, guy from Australia, it's called KM boards, um, opened up a company here in Hawaii. So I kind of raced with them or under them, um, then got into uh, racing with Hobie, which was really fun. There was a team Hobie Hawaii out here, did that for a long while, mostly did shorter stuff. Um, Hawaii Kai runs, which are roughly about like eight miles. Um, so a lot of sprinting, which is not my favorite thing in the world. Um, and then years later, after multiple knee injuries uh, to include an ACL surgery, um, I was kind of, I had already kind of transitioned into OC6. Um, one of the head coaches there, Guy Wilding, had approached me at a um, one of the Kanaki Kaika races, which is basically like all crafts, like stand up, OC1, OC6. And I don't know, he just, he saw me in line, like standing for food. And he's like, hey, um, who are you? And what do you do? And you should come paddle for Outrigger. I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. What year um, was that? Gosh, I couldn't even guess. I'm so, my timeline is so bad. This had to have been like, seven eight years ago maybe so even more was it 2012 2013 yeah yeah around there i can actually it's funny enough i have this okay so molokai to oahu i think my first or second one was in 2014 so let's say like 2013 probably um and i fell in love with it um i'm not really much of a team player <laughs> by nature um i'm just kind of more of a and it's not because I don't like being part of a team. It's because I, I just, I almost feel like now I can't just hold myself accountable. Like, you know, it's like everyone, you're working as a team together. So it was a different concept for me. And I think it really helped me grow as an athlete. And I loved it. Um, 
And anyway, stopped doing stand-up because of my knee. Obviously, you don't really need your knees to race six-man unless you're jumping in the boat. But uh, yeah, um, got into that. And then we had some really, really good years, uh, you know, doing the Molokai crossing. Our goal was to win. We didn't quite ever get there. Um, we were always getting second, third um, to a team Bradley, which, but yeah, it was, it was fun. And then I got into OC1 and started doing the solo thing again, stopped doing OC6, partly because um, being a single parent, you guys know, like, the commitment you have to have for OC6 is just unreal. Yeah, I forgot to mention that in, in yeah. your little intro, but you are a single mom oh. <laughs> and, and crushing it because that, that kid is, he's pretty awesome. And he's a Thank ripping you. surfer. Yeah, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to have uh, to have a son who understands, you know, being an athlete because he is an athlete. So he knows, you know, the the crazy time that I put in when I'm getting up at, you know, three in the morning to go paddle. It's like, you know, he's not like, Mom, where are you going? It's like he knows, you know, so I think it's good. Um, you know, we have a very supportive relationship, which is important. You know, I support his dreams and his passions and it goes both ways. So. So yeah, um, six man got a little bit too too much for me. I, I just didn't want to give the time anymore. As my son got older, you know, it's like now I gotta take him surfing and all that stuff. So, so yeah, now I do um, OC one. And to make a long story short, I somehow got involved in dragon boating, <laughs> um, which is I don't do that here. I don't practice it. But um, basically, Team USA pulled a bunch of OC six paddlers from Hawaii like about four of us because um, they wanted to incorporate the outrigger stroke into the dragon boating. So done some traveling with them all over the world, which has been like just the most rewarding thing. I'm so thankful for it. I hope it continues. And now I got myself into um, ultra marathon racing, which <laughs> there's no turning back because I'm absolutely addicted. And I can oh, actually God. thank you for that, Will. Yeah, I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just some background on that. You had come over to Maui um, for a clinic or something, and yeah. uh, we ended up having coffee, and I was telling you about the Yukon 1000, and you were like, oh, that sounds great. And I said, well, you know, there's all these other races too. And I remember your eyes just lighting up and next thing I know that you're, you're doing the, the MR340 that summer, I think. So you had less than, yeah. you had like less than three or four months to train for a 340 mile solo canoe race, which is yeah, it was pretty crazy. awesome to think about. So how, how, how did that 12 week training program go? Uh, <laughs> it was, it was pretty good. It was kind of funny because it was my first kind of ultra race so I didn't really know how to prepare for it so I kind of learned my lesson that you don't want to try to paddle so much um, and burn yourself out I mean it's more about um, it's more mental than it is I mean obviously there's a lot of physical you have to be physically fit and all that but um, I definitely trained a lot for the MR340 I mean I put in a lot of miles and uh, do I think it helped me? Yes. Would I do it again? Probably not. <laughs> um, I was training like 20 miles like a day at one point. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> no. 
Yeah, it was crazy. That's... I was like super crazy about it. I mean, I would put my headphones on on the Aloe. It's like a flat canal we have here, and I would just zone out for like three, four hours, just paddling back and forth, back and forth. Wow. So, so I think uh, something of note here is to just talk about the Aloe for a minute because it's not like some picturesque waterway that you're paddling on. Uh, it it's a pretty filthy little canal in the middle of Honolulu that I don't, I don't know if I'd want to walk around there at 3 AM, but <laughs> yeah, it's pretty uh, nasty. Yeah. So why don't you choose the canal and not just go out at Waikiki and just go like from the, the Harbor down to Diamond Head and back. Just cause <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. Everyone asked me that. Um, I think it's because I, you know, I was going to be on the Missouri River. So, I mean, I hate to compare the Missouri River to the Alawai because they're just, I mean, they're just different. The Missouri River is beautiful, but it's brown water. Yeah. I mean, the water's not pretty. Um, the yeah. scenery's pretty, but um, I just wanted to mimic, like, the exact condition. So the Alawai mm -hmm. is more like a river. I mean, it's completely flat. You get your headwind, you know, when you're going whatever direction. You get the current coming in and out. So it feels more similar and um, boring. I wanted, I, I knew that the MR340 was going to be boring, if that makes sense. Like, I, I know it's beautiful and everything, but at, at some point it's like, it's not like you're doing a downwind and you're riding waves and you're having a blast. It's like, you're grinding. So I wanted to, miles, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I wanted to feel the grind before I did the grind. So that's why I chose the Alawai. And yeah, it's disgusting. Um, I went down there super early in the morning. Sometimes I'd get there at three, sometimes at four. Um, sometimes I'd do a, a night one. I'd always bring pepper spray uh, with me because it's super sketchy. <laughs> There's weirdos. Yeah, did, did you ever have any sketchy encounters or anything yeah. where you were just like, uh, this isn't happening today? Um, I had one encounter, um, which was, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was like sketchy to the point where I like was going to leave, but I kind of like kept my guard up. I had a couple like druggies come up to me and ask me questions and kind of getting a little bit too close, but I kind of like stood my ground and let them like to let them know, like, <laughs> don't mess with me right now. <laughs> like I'm on a mission. I got pepper. So I got my pink hot pink little pocket pepper spray i'll get you sounds like so, you're yeah. ready for white horse yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean maybe in a lot of ways i was kind of naive going down there that early um i try not to do it so much anymore just because i think um i don't know just with the whole covid thing people are getting kind of weird right uh, yeah like energy's uh, shifting and all that but yeah i felt pretty safe for the most part to be honest with you yeah i think you brought up a good point about um how much you you train like so you train 20 miles a day ish uh for for the 340 and um when i'm thinking back about training for the yukon i really i think my biggest paddling day was maybe 20 miles and um all the other training was primarily what i did in the six man and so i mean we're talking about paddles that are you know far less than two hours maybe an hour and a half and it was just the intensity that that really got it and then the other training part for me that really helped was just um 
training myself to be awake and alert and physically moving, not mm -hmm. necessarily fully active um, for a long extended period of time. Yeah. Uh, so, so, cause there's no way you're going to paddle that entire race before the race. Right. Cause yeah, you, you don't do, want to, no uh, way. <laughs> yeah. So you don't want to see what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's good that you learned that lesson that you don't need to paddle the race before the race. <laughs> yeah. And another thing too, that, um, when I was getting ready for the MR340 and I, I cannot remember the, the names of these gentlemen, which I don't even think they actually ended up finishing the MR340, but they were giving me tips about it and they were telling me that I should go out and try to, I was in Oregon at the time because I forgot to mention I did a lot of training um, in Oregon because uh, we have obviously rivers there. So I went there, I think um, three weeks early and kind of just got on the river and these guys were like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta go out there and well, stay up all night long and then go, go for a paddle and see what it feels like. I said, I don't want to know what that feels like before I have to feel it. <laughs> Cause then you won't do it. Yeah, like, I, it does not sound like fun to me. So I didn't. I did not end up doing that, which I would actually not recommend to anyone. Um, you can't really train yourself for the hallucinating that goes on. If that, I mean, you can disagree with me, but I feel like you just never know, like what your mind is going to do and what tricks it's going to play on you. You can't. The only thing you can prepare yourself for is hey, it's going to happen. It's only a matter of when. So when it does happen, just be ready. <laughs> to talk about some hallucinations. Oh, gosh. What, um, what was your first hallucination experience with uh, the 340? <laughs> so my first... If, re if you remember them. Yeah, I totally do. Um, I think one, it was actually pretty terrifying. Uh, the first one I experienced was, uh, I had basically, I think I had gotten like an hour of sleep in two days or something. It was crazy. And I remember I was trying to keep myself awake and the, the water level was really high. And on, um, on the MR340 on the Missouri, they have these things called wing dikes. And then they have, so wing dikes are basically these, these, rock jetties that come out and basically keep the deeper water in the channel and i was terrified of these wing dikes because uh, just the name freaks me out and then there also there's also <laughs> these big um these buoys that i promise you these things are submerged completely underwater and you'll be paddling and this thing will all of a sudden just like boom like come out of the water like poseidon or whatever and um <laughs> It was the scariest thing. So anyway, I think I saw one and I got scared and it kind of just like clicked something in my mind and I started to hallucinate like right after it happened. And I swear to you, I saw, I saw the, a giant whirlpool, like a giant one. And it was sucking me into it. I started screaming bloody murder at the top of my lungs, turned my boat around and started paddling up river but was getting nowhere and I was convinced that this thing was sucking me into it and that I was going to die. And I don't remember how it disappeared, but once it did, I think I started crying. <laughs> I was like, what oh, the heck? Crap. Yeah. And then after that, everything just uh, went downhill. I, it was pretty bad. How is that? How's that race structured? Is it, uh, is it just basically get through 340 miles as fast as you can and you manage your time? There's no sleep requirements or anything 
Exactly. So I think that's what made this race a lot different than races like, let's say, the Yukon River Quest. Um, there's no mandatory downtime. So there's checkpoints, but you don't – I hope I'm saying this right. I think there was no mandatory downtimes. Yeah. I, I think there's just a bunch of checkpoints, and you choose which ones you want to stop at. You can stay awake the whole entire race if you want to. It's just whoever gets there first. I, I want to say you're correct, because I think in what I've read, like people have finished in like 46 or 47 hours because they've just paddled uh, straight through. Yeah. Life. So there's this girl, Ryan, Robin Benincasa, I think is her name. And she's just, I mean, just watching her do it. She's a beast. Everything is so like planned out and she doesn't even get out of her boat. She has her support crew as she's floating by, he floats out a line with some sort of inner tube full of her stuff and she just swaps it out. Like never that gets out of her boat. Never gets out of her boat. So I've heard. Yeah. I yeah, mean that's... I can't imagine. I can't imagine. It was that that race was so brutal. Um it was so brutal. <laughs> it was how a hard How many times did. did you end up stopping? Um, at first, I didn't stop very much uh, because I, w I wanted to be ahead, in which I was for the majority of the race. I was in second place. And then once those hallucinations started and I started to get really tired and I started stopping more frequently, which was a mistake because I think it, um, not stopping to sleep, but just stopping to just like get the hell off the boat, eat a burger, just, you know, get off the river. Um, and I think gonna, that, that yeah, was going to be my next question was, were you getting out of the boat or were you just stopping and floating or? No, there was a point where I was, I was getting out of the boat, stretching my legs. Um, I did it in an OC one, which, uh, there wasn't, I think there was a couple other boats that were kind of like OC ones, but people were using, um, double blades. Have you seen those where the Yakos yeah. like super high, like an arc and you, then you, you double, blade. it's super crazy. It must be a Missouri thing. I don't know. But that, that, boat, that race has a, unlimited boats like the Texas Water Supply, right? People would make their own crazy boats. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was what's, what's that online forum, River something, where all those all those endurance racers? It's like River, I can't remember the name of it, River. River Miles? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. I know yeah. people get on there and talk about the, the crazy boats that they build and things. Oh, it was so fun, was, like, at the beginning of that race to see, to just walk and see all these crazy boats that people, you know, put. And honestly, I don't even know if half of them finished. I have no idea. I didn't see any of them at the finish line, but um, it was super cool. I mean, people are very crafty over there. I guess that was one thing I forgot to mention is that you're uh, training and supposed to be doing the Alabama 650 or the great Alabama 650 this year. Is that yes. accurate? Correct? Is that still happening? It's happening. I last minute got a wild hair and was like, you know what? I'm so bored. I need to find something to do. And I figure since they only let 20 boats in that race, and there, I think there was only two or three female solo spots left, I was like, let's just do it. You know, the guy said he'd give a full refund if they end up canceling it, but I don't see, I don't foresee them canceling it because it's not a huge gathering. 
Um, what's the date? So yeah, uh, starts September 26th. And what's super cool about it is that my Yukon 1000 partner, um, April Zilg, is going to be my support crew. So I think it's uh, awesome. I, I think it's to, good. I get to see you in all your glory before the I race. I know, right? This will this will be the the make or break whether she's like, look, I don't really want you to be my partner anymore. <laughs> no, I think it'll be good. It'll be good for both of us. Um, it, I think it's uh, you know I'm looking at it like a another training run for the Yukon because that's the ultimate goal. You know, it's the Yukon. So. So I'm paddling in the Alabama race. What's that? What are you paddling in the Alabama race? So I'm gonna paddle her OC1. Um, there is a there is a rule where you can actually change crafts as many times as you want in this race, so that's pretty oh. cool. So there's a section in there uh, that's um, pretty crazy. I think they said class three, class four rapids. I'm terrified, by the way. Um, so I'm gonna use one of her inflatable stand-ups to go through that. She's gonna like meet me out there, and we're gonna swap oh, crafts. Wow. And I'm just gonna just close my eyes and hope for the best. <laughs> wow. Paddle yeah. fast. Just yeah. paddle fast through it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how, how has your training plan for the 650 uh, evolved from your training plan for the 340, for the River Quest, for the California 100? How, how has that evolution taken place? And so like what changes have you made to whatever training you're doing now, as opposed to what, how you train in the past. But obviously you're not doing the 20 miles a day that you were doing in the LOI. So what are you doing? What are you doing for training right now? Um, right now, I mean, lately I've been, I just started kind of training pretty hard, uh, maybe like three weeks ago. So at first it was just logistical stuff because I think that this race is a lot different because there's nine portages and I think each one has a 45 minute, 30 or 45 minute downtime, like mandatory. So it's basically dams where you have to stop, get out, have your partner drive you um, to the put in part, whatever. So I think logistics are very important in this race, especially because my competition um, has done it before. So I'm going to be going into this like pretty blind. Um, which is fine. So yeah, logistics, definitely um, paying attention more to that than I have with the MR340. Because you know, when you first go into one of these ultra races, you don't really understand how important the logistics are. You don't understand how important it is to know exactly how much food you're going to need and how much water and at what point you should probably take a rest and all that stuff. So that stuff I'm still learning. So I'm really just trying to look at my times from my other races and, you know, around what time of day or what, what, you know, what, when did this happen and why did it happen and what could I have used to prevent that from happening? So mostly that, um, but as far as physical training, um, I've been doing a lot of cycling, which I know sounds like it has nothing to do with paddling, but it's, it's really been helping me like endurance wise. I mean, I can get my heart rate up pretty gnarly cycling uphill. Um, so what, what I do actually is I paddle, um, I drag line cause I fish a lot. So I'm just trying to kind of make it fun. I get in the water with my fishing pole, 
dragging like a kind of a deep diver. So I'm going slow. I'm only going like five miles an hour, but I'm pushing it. I'll paddle about eight and a half miles. I have my bicycle at the end and then I'll cycle back to where my car is. So it's a good like 16, 17 mile training run. I do that like every other day. Nice. And yeah. you're catching dinner. Yeah. And I, if I'm lucky, I catch dinner. <laughs> So yeah, it's, it's, I'm trying to make it fun. I'm trying to not be so hard on myself um, with it. Like I was with MR340. Cause I think I burnt myself out paddling. So I'm trying to incorporate other fun activities other than just paddling because 650 miles is a long ways. Yeah. It's interesting. There seems to be, and it's, it's still a trend that's been happening for a while, but I was talking to this cardiologist guy last summer out here and he was, uh, he ran marathons and he had a bike crash a couple of years ago and he's in his early seventies, but he's been a cardiologist, like, you know, knows everything about the heart. And he, uh, he crashed his bike, broke his collarbone or something and was down for quite a while. So the following year, Due to his injury, his training was cut by half. And he, he went at 72 years old. He got his PR in marathon by like over 10 minutes. By he said he trained half as much as he had in the past. And he's absolutely convinced that. Oh. And, and I think there's all this new, like if you read any, read any of uh, like Ben Greenfield's books about the long-term effects of like that super heavy training load, that all these aging triathletes are having these major heart issues and oh, all wow. this all these physical problems. So I think we're in this really cool time where hopefully we're seeing, we'll, we'll go down as low as we can and find out what, you know, how little can you get by with before you see diminishing returns. And then it's, it's kind of encouraging because you can go out and do things like MR340, you know, this whole old paradigm of you've got to ride 700 miles a day and sleep <laughs> two hours. And it's just, it's actually not only kind of outdated, but it's almost, almost a negative thing, right? That heavy, heavy, heavy training load. Yeah. And I think, uh, with that being said that, you know, your, your biggest thing is injury prevention too. Yeah. I mean, yep. You're, you're going to get injured during these races. I mean, I come out of these races, like I'm sure you guys felt at the end of the 1000. I mean, your body is just wrecked. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I really, I really can't stress enough. Like, you know, people that are preparing for these long races, it's, you know, don't, don't work so hard to the point no. where now you've got an injury and then you just yeah. the whole thing. And, you know, I'm going into this with an L4, L5 slip disc. Um, I have bicep tendonitis. I mean, my body's not stoked with me right now. So, um, and I actually just tore some, <laughs> I tore something in my knee the other day. I got to go to the the, um, the doctor and figure out what I did, but hopefully it's minor. So I'm just... <laughs> I'm just trying to take it easy and yeah. do things that aren't going to injure me any more than I'm already injured. So, yeah. Yeah. You almost got to find that. Yeah. You got to find that balance of being able to get that battery and an abuse tolerance up as high as you can prior to the race, right? You want to get in the time, but you don't want to, you don't want to get your joints and your, and your connective tissue fatigued enough so that it goes in compromise you want it to be like full on ready to go yeah i still yeah i still two years later i still have the side of my left foot is partially numb from 
the sitting and the foot resting on the bottom of the boat. It's crazy. Why so do we do this to ourselves? That, that was my next question to you is, is you said you became addicted to it. And I just think back to the dark, some of the dark moments and some of the things I've done. And I just think, God damn, would I ever do that again? It's like, what, what is the draw? I mean, obviously the, the sense of accomplishment is, is pretty substantial, but then when you weigh it to the like hallucinating and screaming on the river and seeing giant <laughs> whirlpools and, and the cracking coming up, like, like what, obviously there must be something there that, that pulls you towards something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, getting deep, but not getting too deep into it. Um, I know Will and I have discussed this before, I think, or you mentioned it or something, but, um, I mean, ever since I was younger, I've definitely myself suffered depression that kind of runs in my family. I get, you know, I have to always have something exciting going on in my life. I'm kind of like lost almost. Yeah. So for me, I feel like these, these, adventures kind of keep a part of me alive. Mm -hmm. So when I'm, you know, when I'm getting ready for something like this, it makes me feel like I have, I mean, I'm not saying I don't have a thousand other purposes in my life, but yeah. for me, this is like, okay, this is something that, that I can control, um, you know, as far as how I'm going to train for it. And this is something that it's all on me. Like, I don't know if that makes sense. Like it's, it's just putting myself through those really intense challenges makes me feel more alive than I can honestly say I've really ever felt. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like a, like a drug, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Like yeah. it's my happiness. So yeah. I think that's what draws me to it. Um, yeah. When I'm out there, you know, it's like a flood of emotions. I'm angry. I'm cursing. I'm asking myself, why am I doing this? I'm never doing this again. But like I said, it's like, that's my addiction. And you know, it's, I mean, it's a pretty healthy addiction if you ask me. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what kind of draws me back. Definitely makes you face whatever demons you have. Cause there's nothing to control them or hold them back. So they're just, you just get faced with them and you yeah. have to confront them and, yeah uh, just it makes you a stronger person yeah. yeah i mean when you're out there especially I, I don't know how it is you know doing it with a partner if it's the same and this is something that i definitely worry about going into the yukon 1000 with someone else is and i've talked about it with april before too it's like when i'm out there like i get in my head you know like you start thinking about things and it's like all these things emotions come up and um, you know, you've, you've, you, you're just depleted and at times you're going to feel defeated and there's going to be those ups and downs. And when you're by yourself, it's like, you don't have shame to show it because no one's watching you. It's just nature. Right. But when you're with someone else, it makes me nervous. Like this person's going to see me at my worst. And I know I, one of your, uh, podcasts that, you know, the, one of the first ones you did, you guys talked a lot about, you know, having to see the. <laughs> the kind of uh, uglier side of the person, per se. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that terrifies me. I would say with that pressure, though, it, it, it kind of, uh, it almost takes a bit of the load off because you have this obligation to conduct yourself and kind of keep your shit together to, for, the, for, the, for the team, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, 
don't get me wrong. I was, and I'm sure Will was too. I was just reading your recap story this morning from that you put on your blog, Will. And there's times when you're just sitting there just going like, fuck, bring the helicopter right now. <laughs> but you don't say that because it's just like, we got to finish this thing. And you, you want to just like, I don't want to sit anymore. I don't want to eat freaking boiled food anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to go home and go to bed. And that's like, like it's 10% of the whole time, but you don't, but you keep it together because you want to, you want to show up for your partner. And, and it's like, I think that it's a reciprocal thing, right? You're just, just like, I'm feeling like shit, but I'm sure he's feeling like shit too. So let's just keep it tight and get it done. And I think you'll be fine. Yeah, what was it that that fourth day where it was that that uh, I mean we were just honest with each other. We we're like this this is a shitty day. We are having a <laughs> shitty day. That was and, a fucking horrible day. And and so like the I think Patrick, you started talk just telling a story, and that took some time away. And we just you just keep paddling, and you know you have to you have to bring up something positive to kind of push the negative down and. Uh, that's that's where having a teammate comes in is just because they're you know you're a team and so you have to you have to be able to be honest with one another and and help in whatever way you can and yeah. i i honestly don't know how um some of the there were there was at least one team if not two where the the team was made at like the last minute and the people had never even met and it's like I don't I don't know how that would have gone down. Whoa. Like, and, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know you know Ben right from from online. yeah and, yeah, yeah he and he and uh, Marcin just like met the couple of days before the race, and 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 Marcin is a pretty intense character, not in a bad way. He's just very intense about racing and yeah. But I could not even imagine. Like I told Ben after the race, I'm like, dude, you just did like that's like another level of the race. Because you don't have the comfort of leaning on somebody that you know and trust. It's like you're trying to figure out who this person is while you're going through this god awful thing, you know. Yeah. It's I amazing it's horrible feelings of the again. Exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think I I think April and I really complement each other. I mean, we're definitely both very different and, you know, stronger in different ways and yeah, I'm excited about it, but definitely, um, definitely nervous. What are, what are you most What are you most nervous about? Like, if you could pin it on one thing, bears or just fatigue? Or no, I think I'm nervous about letting letting her down because, like I said, when I'm doing the solo races, and the reason why I'm so drawn to solo is because it's all on me, you know. And I mean, when you're when you're out there with the team, it's not all on you. Like you said, it's like if I'm feeling shitty, sometimes I got to not say that, you know, yeah. Yeah. because I don't want to bring the other person down. So it's just, it's kind of like a whole nother mental game for me. Like, you know, I, I can be as negative as I want out there when I'm by myself, you know, I can scream, I can cry, I can hate whatever. <laughs> but you know, when, when you're out there with someone else, it's like, you really got to think about those things. Like what kind of energy can I bring that's going to make this person's energy, you know, positive. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't believe that I, you know, it's something I can't do, but I still, it's just, I think it's the letting, I don't like to let people down. So I think it's, you know, not letting her down. 
Yeah. Yeah. Hearing you describe that, I think, I think you could probably incorporate some form of, um, not meditation, but almost like a walking awareness kind of practice prior to the race of like, if you're sitting in traffic and you feel this like motherfucker, get out of the way, like try to hold that. You know what I mean? It's like, that could be a form of training of like emotional uh, regulation, you know? I never thought about it until you just mentioned that, but it would be, if anybody is thinking about doing the race, that might be uh, just trying to keep control of your emotions. Like let your brain rule the roost and not let your emotions kind of steamroll the whole program. You know, it's hard. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that because I was actually um, one of the guys that I had met uh, during uh, the dragon boat. He's actually studying uh, sports psychology. And so he did a little uh, thing on me. I think we did it for like two or three weeks, but it was basically like a little therapy session, kind of asking me the same questions, like, what are you scared of? Or what is this? And I answered the same thing. And he said, we need, why don't we think of a word, like a word that you come up with when you're, when these emotions start to flood in and you don't want to explode or whatever, like, what are you going to say? And we came up with the word Tigre. And for me, um, I mean, I, I grew up kind of in a Spanish community, you know, my son's half Peruvian. And so Spanish has always been something that's very close to my heart, just the language in general, the culture. Um, so I chose Tigre, which means obviously tiger. <laughs> and, um, I think that's going to be like my power word, like kind of my meditation to bring me like back to center again. Sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's like, that's like next level kind of, I wonder if anybody's really thought about this stuff in the endurance world of just starting to think about, because it really is more of a mental psychological thing. The physical Mm -hmm. thing, there's nothing you can do about your body can only take so much. And all you can do is just hang on. But what you, how you manage that in that fatigue and exhaustion is all mind over matter. You know, it's like the David Goggins thing. It's like, just, you know, it's pretty, it'd be interesting to see that. I wonder and I was going to ask you guys both this before, but I wonder if if they made these races like MR340 and 1000 and if they made them, you know, if, if John were to switch the format from 18.6 to 16.8, so you had actually eight hours of downtime where you could actually lose a little bit of the fatigue and actually enjoy the experience a little bit more. And I don't know if that yeah. would en- enhance it or actually t- detract from it. Or if there's something in just like getting it done and just being so beat down, you don't know which way is left or right. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I think there's something really good about the 18.6 because it does, it gives it that, that militaristic yeah. uh, style where it, it, it makes, it makes you be on point yeah. a little bit more. Whereas if you had the eight hours down, you might become a little bit more lackadaisical mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you might slip a little bit and I don't know, it's like hitting the snooze button, right? Yeah. Like yeah. with the, with this, with the, with only six hours down, you can't hit the snooze button. But I would say hours, you, can the, you can, you can hit the snooze button and before you know it, you're off the beach late. Right. So, but yeah, boom. no, I, I but think that, that's, that's six hours. And I think that's the whole point too. Um, you know, because with the MR340 not having any downtime at all, um, I don't know if it was—I don't know if it was better or worse. Because 
for the Yukon River Quest, you had to have, I think it was a seven-hour layover at 200 miles and then three-hour layover at whatever. First of all, that three hours was the gnarliest, like, I wanted to die. I thought I was going to die. I thought I was dead. <laughs> like, huh. paddling away from that, I'm like, am I still alive? Did I die back there somewhere? Am I dreaming? Like, so I think it's... um putting that six hours on it is interesting because even at seven hours, it definitely wasn't enough time. Three hours wasn't enough. But when I look back at like the MR340, not having any mandatory downtime was interesting. I feel like you had, like people were getting off the river and going and showering in a hotel and sleeping in a bed and getting up when they felt like it and getting back on the water. Whoa. Like that you're, you have enough time, honestly, to do that. I'm um, mm. not saying it makes the race, you know, easy cause it's not easy by far, but um, mm. they're definitely, I think having a set time does make it more challenging because you start getting in your own head, right? You're like, okay, I only have six hours. And then all of a sudden you only have three hours and one hour. And then you're like, oh my God, I haven't even slept. Yeah. Like it's oh, just, you aren't going to have a problem sleeping on the 1,000. No, hopefully not. <laughs> yeah, I would ask. I would ask you that question again on like day three, getting up in the tent. Like, like, would you use two more hours of sleep right now? No snooze button, but just two more. So you get four, five hours instead of three. I'd be like, I'll take it. But I don't even know if it's going to make that much difference. <laughs> I almost feel I like the more time you're off the water, the harder it is to get back in the yeah. boat. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And once you're, and once you're going, alluding to. Yeah, and once you're going and the coffee's flowing and you got that couple hours before you start falling asleep paddling, you know, you're up at five, you're paddling, and at eight o'clock you start nodding off at the paddle. Oh. Yeah. Well, um, you you sure were. Yeah, that's I was. So funny. <laughs> you guys get any of that on video? <laughs> no, the video was behind us. It was just a GoPro on the. And that's behind my back, so it was hard to get really anything. Yeah, I think that's one thing I'm going to do for the Alabama. And, I mean, I April, I don't know if you guys have seen any of her episodes she's done for the Road to Yukon stuff. Um, if you haven't, you should check it out. She's, she's really good with the camera, and she loves doing it. So I think that um, my goal for the Alabama 650 is to film a lot of it. Uh, what I can. I know I say that now I was going to film the Yukon, but I just, you're so into your race, uh, but I'm going to really make a conscious effort to try and film it because I really want, I want people to see all of it. Like I want to put it out there and be like, I know you guys hear what we're talking about and what it feels like, but here's what it looks like. Like I want to film myself when I'm at my worst, when I'm hallucinating, when I'm tired, when I'm whatever you know so i'm really gonna try hard to and i know april will help me she'll be with the camera in my face probably every <laughs> every uh portage i'll probably be cursing at her like get the camera out of my freaking face <laughs> yeah i think the new i think all uh, the new ones have a uh, a voice activation feature so it just takes that that little bit of resistance of having to reach and yeah. push the button you just say gopro film even if you're like, fuck you, GoPro film. Yeah. <laughs> It'll still film. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to try and do that because I really want, um, I think it'd be kind of cool 
to to see that. Did you guys see? Uh, I forget the gentleman's name. He's a big stand-up guy, but the the movie he did on the Yukon River Quest the year I did it. Yeah. Oh, uh, so the, some, the, something the like that. Guy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was like I watched that and I got chicken skin because I'm like, that's. That's the year it. you did it. What, that's, the that? year, that's the same year you did it. Yeah. So the funny thing uh, is, is that gentleman and I actually ran into each other when I was leaving um, Coffee Creek, the second mandatory, the three-hour checkpoint. He was arriving, and I mean, we both just looked like zombies. And we looked at each other and we're like, do we know each other? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, oh, do you know Travis Grant? Um, Travis Grant, big stand-up um, outrigger guy. He, he lives over here. Um, I know you guys both know him. But for the, everyone listening, he's just a phenomenal athlete. Um, anyway, it's a friend of his. And he goes, oh, he told me to watch out for you. And I said, well, here I am. <laughs> Not doing so good, but... <laughs> Here I and am, I'm, and I'm, I'm leaving when you're arriving. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it's, it was cool. The people you meet on the river is just an, a whole nother story, right? Just did, so you, cool. did you get in on just the general, um, the general uh, registration page? I, like I looked at it last year, and it sold out faster than Shadowjack. It was like an hour, and it was sold out. And I was looking at doing a Voyager canoe. And it was like a thousand bucks a person. It's pretty pricey. I mean, it's worth it. I mean, it's an, it looks like an amazing race, but did you just sit on the registration and just get in? You know, on that one, I don't remember. I know for MR340, it was kind of sold out and I kind of was like, hey, but I'm from Hawaii and I'm bringing like an OC1. And the guy's like, oh yeah, there's one more space. You can have it. But I think for Yukon, I think I... I think I just sat on it pretty, like got on it pretty fast from what I remember. Yeah. Um, but even, you know, Alabama 650, I think the, I think I paid 500 for entry fee and that's not, I mean, that's just to enter. That's not, you know, all the other stuff you have to pay. So, um, yeah, but if you get first place, it's two grand. So, Whoa. Both, so you got that going for you. Like overall winner or male? Is it for it's, both? Like male yeah. and female? No Equal kidding. money for male and female, which I applaud. That's awesome. Greg Wingo for uh, and his organization. Yeah, so I'm stoked. I'm like, wow. There's a lot of prize money in this thing. Is Sally going back? She is. I'm scared. <laughs> she is awesome, man. You, you interviewed so her, right? Can't wait to just give her a hug. Because you guys know I interviewed her, right? And yeah. Uh, we were talking about, I said, oh, no, I can't do the Alabama this year because the Yukon 1000. And then it just, I emailed her about a month ago. I said, oh, my gosh, guess what? The Yukon's canceled, so I'll see you at, you know. But she's just, she's a she's a force to be reckoned with. I mean, she's just, I think she just turned 60, and she's just killing it. Yeah, and that's another thing. Um, I, I'm starting to notice in these ultra races that, Older women are just kicking it, like they're killing it. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's experience or it's just body wisdom and experience. Gosh, it's just these women are just amazing. Yeah, so. I think ultra ultra racing in general is it's an older older person's uh, venture. I mean, if you look at running or uh, yeah. 
triathlon or canoe racing. Like there's so many, so many participants who are over 40, over 50. And there are so few participants who are under 35. Uh, and it just seems like the older people get, the more, the more resistant they get to, to quitting and they just want to keep going. And maybe it's just because of, of how they live, have lived their lives or, or whatever, but they have more drive. It, it seems like to, to sign up for those longer distance races. So I think, too, um, I, I think you start to, your awareness of what's going on in your systems gets greater too. As you get older, you start to run, realize like, okay, this is happening. This, this means this is happening. And you just, you just have so much more experience than you do when you're, you know, 20 or 30 or whatever. Uh, yeah. And I mean, Jesus have, you have that built tolerance, you know, for, um, I mean, I definitely think you, you have to have something, I don't know if you're born with it or something that clicks at a certain point, but I think you definitely have to have that willingness to suffer. Absolutely. Um, you do. I mean, it's true. You, you have yeah. to be, you almost have to love suffering in a way. And I think, uh, I think a, a lot of people that, that don't succeed in races like this, it's because they, their perception of effort and, you know, their perception of suffering, they just can't, they can't handle it. They're just, they tap out. Right. So you gotta, you gotta figure out how to get beyond that. Like, okay, I'm suffering, but am I going to die if I continue? Probably not. So have you found that uh, your day-to-day life seems a lot easier since you started doing um longer longer races that, that's a completely serious question <laughs> um i know you laughed at it but just because of because of what you just said um, okay yeah you know, as you grow older you have, you have a per, you know a different perception of, of of stress and things like that um you know be, you know you're able to put your body through this this stress for 72 hours where you just absolutely beat the shit out of it. And then you come home and, you know, you might be uh, at your job and your boss is pissed at you and you're like, yeah, big deal. I just did this. I know I can handle this. <laughs> like, it's just, um, do you feel like for you personally that that might be the case where like, I mean, let's, let's be real here. Hawaii is not an easy place to live, especially if you're a single mom. Like there's, it's financially difficult. Like now we have to deal with a pandemic. That's difficult. Like, yeah. like shit's, shit's not easy out here. Um, so do you find that because of the things that you've done in over the past three years, your, um, your tolerance for stressful situations has changed as, as you know, it might've been different 10 years ago when you hadn't started putting your body through the, the gauntlet on a, on a regular. Yes and no. I mean, I, I say I'm a, I'm a pretty high stress person in general. Like I, I mean, I tend to let things get me riled up, um, as far as emotionally, like with like people interactions, but so I'm going to say no with that. I mean, I think maybe with age and just learning to have patience from having a kid more so has made me that way. But, um, I mean, I can, I could honestly say when I'm doing something like, you know, pulling an 80 pound fish up on my one man or cycling up Tantalus for the first time, like I can be with someone who's done it a thousand times and they're like, oh man, that was like, 
so gnarly and I'm just like, I want more, you know, like, I, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, I think it's made me more athletic wise, more able to deal with things on a daily basis and like things I deal with physically, but emotionally, not, not really. And if it, and if so, I, it's not something I like I personally noticed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure if, uh, I think that, uh, for me, and you can probably ask my wife and she'll agree with you, but, <laughs> um, my, my way of dealing with stress is a lot different than, than other people's. And it's just, I think part of it is because of like the Yukon, for example, like, Every day was was something shitty about every single day, but I couldn't let it get to me because mm -hmm. if I did, it would mean I'd have to hit the hit the taxi button and pay a lot of money to get out of there because it, you would have had to quit basically. Um, yeah. But in, instead, I'm able to kind of just like just push past it because I know that whatever it's 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 just another it doesn't really matter basically, and so you're able to kind of just bundle that stress up and put it off to the side and just deal with it a different, different, in a different manner than like, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. Nah. So <laughs> that sounds like me. That, I'm that, not that, that person. That might not translate as well because without, without the video, but um, <laughs> I think you, you get the point of what I'm saying. Um, so I, I think there's, there is a good correlation for myself anyway between how I handle stressful situations based on the situations I've put myself in. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I know that, you know, there's definitely a lot of situations that I look at differently because I've gone through these gnarly situations on the water. Um, but yeah, I think that's, and that's going back to the reason why I do these races is I think I'm such a high stress kind of very emotional person that these things almost ground me. So that's why I keep doing them because I feel like they keep me grounded. Mm -hmm. so, that makes sense. Yeah. It does. I think we, uh, you talked a little bit about the, the Yukon river quest, but I just, uh, I don't because there was that video that went out. It was, the guy's name is Chris Parker. Um, yes. he, he's the, the guy who runs the SUP Racer website. And mm -hmm. uh, I remember seeing the video of day one of that race. And I can't believe that you would sign up for the Yukon 1000 after having gone through just the terrible conditions you saw in day one of that River Quest race. Because it <laughs> so like, not there's no there's no place to hide on on that lake and you yeah. guys were going head into it. Just the lake the is first, bigger than most races most people will ever do. So the first fifty miles of your race was upwind with zero zero protection. Like just open exposure with yeah. Just a boat full of gear by yourself. So I think that speaks pretty highly to uh, you as a paddler. So well done. Um, yeah, what made it even more crazy, I think, personally for me, um, I, I don't know about other people. I know that the, the guys on the stand-ups, I can't imagine they were having oh. like just the worst 
Um, but I was on a boat. I think you got whether or not you guys knew this or not, but I had I, I was on a boat that I literally just bought. Um, it was a C1, a Winona Voyager. Um, it was the first uh, time I'd ever been on that boat. I've got no rudder. I didn't know you you were even allowed to have a rudder on that boat. I don't know how to steer because I'm used to OC1, right? So I, for me, that's what made it the most challenging was that here I am on this boat. It's super tippy. I have no rudder. I'm trying to steer this thing. I don't know. I, I can't believe I didn't flip. Like, I don't know how. Like, <laughs> the water gods were with me because that was... I think I, I, I think I never paddled on my right side. It was only my left because I was oh. so terrified that I was going to drift out into the lake. Um, because once you, once you get past the buoys, don't you get disqualified or something? Cause you're not supposed to go in the middle of the lake. Uh, not in the thousand. Yeah. So this one, you had to stay inside the buoys or they disqualified you. Now, whether or not those rules would have changed because of the conditions but it was that was my biggest fear was don't go past the buoys just keep paddling and we didn't um, even have buoys yeah yeah they wanted they set up the buoys i don't know if i mean the thing about that lake is that it can be sunny and beautiful one second and the next second is just like hellfire right so we had it mildly downwind yeah. the entire way across and the bluebird skies it was it was oh um, really Yep. It was just you didn't glassy. any of that madness. No. no, we had the. That's why I would be reluctant to go back. It's like I don't even. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to have anything other than that experience that we had. We had just the most epic lake crossing in history. It was so good. Oh yeah, ours was just. I mean, there were people dropping. I mean, lots of people dropped out there. And then when you wow. hit that first, what's that first checkpoint? Because I know Policeman's Point is the beginning of the lake, and then there's that last one when you hit the mouth of the river, right? Yeah, there was no checkpoint on a big Earth. race. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah. Different. We were, we were supposed to have a checkpoint right before Dawson. They were supposed to be on some uh, houseboat in the middle of the river, but we passed by there before 6 a.m., and there were we saw no houseboat. We saw no flags. We saw no people flagging us in. And we're just like, F this. We're just going to keep paddling. We don't want to stop because we had Sally on our tail. We had who else? We don't know who else was on our tail. Yeah. Um, but, but, but Sally and Paul, they were charging the whole way. So we just like, we're not stopping for anything. Yeah. So, and then we got attacked by seagulls. <laughs> that was so awesome. They were pissed. At what point did you start hallucinating in the in the river quest? Oh god. Because weren't you, weren't you being followed by like a hawk or a coyote or something like in your mind? That was the gnarliest thing. So I'm gonna try to make the story short, but this was uh this was crazy. So there's a lot of there's a lot of I mean what you'd call mana there, right? In in the Hawaiian culture, mana is like, you know, it's, it's a very powerful thing. It's, it's energy basically. And you know, up there you've got native American culture and all that stuff. And I'm very sensitive to that kind of stuff. So that's something going into that race that, um, I wouldn't say it terrified me, but I felt very humbled by it. Um, I just felt that, that energy, like the ancestors and all that stuff from the second I even like stepped foot in Whitehorse. And so for me, the hallucinating was kind of crazy because I remember I was in a section 
and I have no idea. I have, I don't remember where it was, how far I was into this thing, but, um, basically I was paddling and I had seen, there was actually a native American couple, a husband and wife that did the race. Um, they were super sweet. I kept seeing them every now and then. And anyway, I'm paddling and all of a sudden, I mean, I felt like 60 mile an hour headwind just hit me in the face. And it was about 16 to 19 hours of this. I mean, it was insane. And uh, I think that's when I started hallucinating. A big storm came and I had gotten off the river. And I, I remember saying to myself, well, this is it. They're going to cancel it. They're going to call everyone off the water and it's over. I'm not going to be able to finish it because I, I saw this storm as like, the, the mother of all storms. This thing is going to take everyone out. So I start to you know, put my boat down, start kind of getting my camping gear ready, re get, getting ready to be rescued, basically. I think that's where the hallucination started. Like, what was I thinking? Like, someone was going to show up and rescue me. Um, so eventually I kind of came to my senses, got back on the river, and I see this thing up in the sky, like circling, circling. And I thought, oh my God, what is that? Like, it's a vulture waiting for me to die. <laughs> and anyway, it's way up there. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm in my head, just going crazy. And this thing swoops down, catches a fish like this big, like a huge fish, like arm length from elbow to like the tip of your finger, swoops down, grabs it and goes and sits on like a, a branch. And I said, okay, I don't know if this is real or what the heck is going on, but I'm gonna get my camera out and I'm gonna take a picture. Well, something happened where I took a picture. So I get up to this thing and this thing is like, probably from your waist to the top of your head. I mean, this bird is huge. I had no idea what kind of bird it was. It was just this magnificent creature. And I'm like, is this even really happening? And it's perched on a ledge and it's about the fish and it's looking at me. And I took a picture and I think my flash went off or something and I scared it. And the thing freaked out, goes flying over my head, drops the fish in my boat. Oh, and it's like bloody, oh, like bloody fish. In oh my, my boat. And then I really start tripping. I'm like, oh my God, I pissed off the ancestors and it's a bad omen. And oh my God. I like start losing it. And I'm like, so I'm holding this fish. I managed to take a video and then I'm like, what do I do with this thing? So I throw it back in the water and it follows me, you know, for a while, the fish were kind of going at the same speed. The bird comes down, grabs it again and flies off. And then all hell breaks loose. I start hallucinating that I'm seeing Indians in the bushes, like native Americans, like basically looking at me, telling me like, you effed up, you shouldn't have done this. And I just Whoa. was going crying and I'm like I'm so sorry I actually got out of my boat and started like praying like to the ancestors oh, oh, forgive me for so what I've awesome. done I'm so sorry anyway that's when shit hit the fan and I was like convinced that I've just ruined everything for myself and uh coincidentally about an hour later this couple comes by this Native American couple and I said, I'm so sorry. I got to ask you guys a question. I don't know what your beliefs are or whatever. But so I told him the story and she said, oh, my God, that was a golden eagle. And she said, in our culture, this is a very good omen. Like the, the golden eagle want, probably wanted to share his food with you because he thought you were hungry. And if anything, it was rude of you to throw it back in the water. So then oh. I like. 
And I have this, you guys, I have this all on video and photo. Like, there's no denying it really happened. That's so awesome. Yeah. So that's kind of where the hallucination started. It was like I was half hallucinating, half not hallucinating, trying to figure out if I was hallucinating. So, yeah, that was my big hallucination story. Yeah. I didn't I think, hallucinate at the U in the Yukon. Oh, uh, really? I didn't either. <laughs> I missed out. Oh, it's a trip. It's a trip. I mean, as you guys know, you're just, I mean, you really are just in the thick of it. You're in the middle of nowhere. You are nothing. You are this small and nature is this big. It's like, yeah. I commend you also for jumping in a strange craft and just going for it. I, I love that shit. That's, for me, yeah. that, that just adds to the intensity of the race is to just, like, I didn't really train for the Yukon 1000. I'm just, you know, I mean, I, I did the what I needed to do to make sure my body didn't fail. But, yeah, like, we'd never raced the C2 before. Like, that was our first canoe race. And we're just like, let's go for it. And I love that because it just, it, be, it almost becomes like a sort of thing where you just, yeah. like, you throw yourself into this scenario you've never been in and then you just get out of it. And it's, it just makes it that much cooler. I think. Yeah, it was great. I think my heart rate was going the, the hardest and the fastest that first day when we put it in the water without any gear on it at all. And everybody, <laughs> everybody was at that, that shop watching us. Yeah. And so all eyes were on us and they didn't know that you and I had never paddled one of those canoes before. <laughs> and we, and we just hopped in and I remember how tippy it was because we didn't have any weight in it. Oh, and I was like, Oh shit, we're going in. This is not going to go well. And it went fine. But isn't it crazy how different but, from weight being in it and no weight? It's just like night and day. Yeah. But it, and even the trimming, I would, I would, I mean, you obviously know from your other trips, but like the, the key thing that we discovered day one was even the placement of like a bag full of bars is super critical because if that boat is pitched, even one degree to to the right or the left, your hips are out of alignment, your spine's out of alignment, and you're gonna get you're gonna get jacked pretty quickly. So yeah. we actually we pulled over two or three times. Well, we pulled over probably five times on the lake, but the times we pulled over, we like we got to retrim the boat. So we grab we move a water bladder. And so the, the 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 later days, we would carry our water bladders on the top of the spray skirt, and we would move them to trim the boat, and it was a huge difference. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't have thought of that actually. Yeah. <laughs> It makes a big difference. I mean, the fore and aft is pretty easy to get, but the side-to-side -side pitch is, is super critical. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought about the side-to-side. -side. The front and back, obviously, yeah. but, yeah, the side-to-side, -side, I wouldn't have thought about that. So. Yeah, when you get to Whitehorse, check it out. You'll feel it in your hips. You know, you're experienced enough yeah. to be like, whoa, this isn't running right. And then. Yeah. Yeah. So we only have a few more minutes. Um, what is – some advice that you would give to someone who is like on the fence about entering a first long distance race? I mean, off the top of my head, I would say go for it. <laughs> Try not to think about it too much. I mean, it's going to be scary. It's going to be, it's going to be, a, you know, it's the unknown. It's the unknown that makes these races so um, intriguing and exciting and the more you freak out about it and overthink it and all this stuff, it almost becomes a job more than an adventure. And that's how I like to tell people to look at it. You know, look at it as 
you're going on a big adventure and there's going to be times where it's scary. There's going to be times where it's fun. There's going to be times where you don't want to be there anymore. But in the end, I mean, you, you're going to learn so much about yourself and things you never thought that you could accomplish, you know, physically and mentally. Um, yeah, go for it. I mean, you can sit on the fence your whole life, but you know, go That's for it. That's not going to feel good after a while. No, not at all. <laughs> like sitting, it'll start feeling like sitting in a canoe for 18 hours a day. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's my advice. Just go for it. You know, do your research, obviously. Um, don't skimp on the gear to try to make your boat lighter. Do what you, do what you got to do to make yourself, you know, comfortable. Bring your little comfort foods. I know at the end of Yukon, I was so mad at my friend. <laughs> who escorted me um, because I had this, this boil. Um, so my favorite dessert is creme brulee. And I, and I had this, this creme brulee that you just, you know, you put the bo- the hot water in and it turns into some sort of creme brulee. And I said, <laughs> when I get to the finish of the Yukon, this creme brulee is mine. And I had this thing with me the whole freaking time. Where's the creme brulee? He threw it away. <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad. You guys have no idea. So uh, with that, with that being said, my point is, is if you're going to do one of these things, bring something, bring something for yourself, like as a reward, you know, for like, okay, when I get to mile 100, I'm going to do this for myself. When I get to 200, I'm going to do this at the finish line. So do your research, have incentives for yourself and yeah, just have fun. Don't take it too seriously. That's what uh, that's what working in life is for, you know. When you're out there on the water and you're doing these races, that's your time to just empty yourself. Just leave it all out there. Good advice. Yeah. Patrick, you have any uh, any closing questions, arguments? The only thing that comes to mind is how do you like that Voyager and where is it? Is it in Oregon? I love it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's actually at my parents' house in, uh, in Portland. So yeah. I was looking at those. It's like 17.6, right? Yeah. 17.6. I'm not quite sure how wide it is, but it's just, it's a beautiful bow. It's, I mean, stable for the most part, if you put enough weight in it. Um, do they limit that C1 class to that length? Because most of them are like 16 and 17, right? The Boinger I think is the biggest one they make for C1 for the recreational yeah. division. That I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know it kind of varies race by race, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, that boat is um it's a great boat. Um, I don't have a clue when I'll ever use it again. Probably in the California 100 if I do that race again. But I'm gonna I'm gonna um go actually early September. I leave September 1st to Oregon. I'm gonna do some training on the river for probably two weeks on that boat even though I'm not using that kind of boat, yeah. I just, you know, just to get out on it. So yeah, great boat. Winona is a great company. Um, yeah. Awesome. yeah, check it out. Well, cool. Well, thanks for talking to us. Um, yeah. We, could, we could talk for a lot longer, I feel like, but I know you have places to be and things to do. <laughs> so maybe we can do another, uh, another check-in before you head out for the Alabama, or maybe we could do something where you, you question us, you put us in the, in the hot seat. I would um, love to. I got lots of questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll see you up in Whitehorse in 2021. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, my foot's still funny. saying no. You're oh, funny. that'd be awesome. You know, we should. I, I often think, you know, how people do the four man, three man, whatever races. I'm, I'm thinking like Texas Water Safari, three man race. Maybe maybe we can get Sally to do it. With us. Um, four men. Four I don't one. feel. I wouldn't feel worthy. Talk about feeling like you're gonna let somebody down. That one is so accomplished. I'd just be like, man, I'm not getting in that boat because you'll just destroy me. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll see you guys at you know one of these races soon. Um, yeah, I would love to. I don't know how many years it's been since I've seen you, Patrick. Yeah. Probably 2012, Battle of the Paddle, maybe. Years. Been a while. I haven't been to Hawaii in uh, it'll be four years this month. Oh my gosh! I'm gonna get uh, you out here. <laughs> I, I've been. It was on the list this year, and then the COVID came in. Like, yeah. No Hawaii for you, but that's <laughs> all right. I'll get back there this winter or soon. Awesome. Well, well thank you guys so much. Yeah, yeah thank you. Good luck with your training. Good luck with your Thank training, you. and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Okay, sounds good. Have a good day. All right, Aloha. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to check out Jen and her adventures and training, you can find her on Instagram at paddlefishsurf. That's all one word. And again, her podcast is 90% mental ultra distance paddling adventures. We are on Instagram at wicked.aloha.podcast. We put up pretty pictures, talk about training, nutrition, and life, everything else in between. If you guys are digging the podcast, please rate, subscribe, share it with your friends. Just keep tuning back in. Until next time, keep moving forward.